I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how is it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be talking Mohamed Kudus, we're going to be talking Kai Havertz, Thomas Partey, a little bit about Cedric Suarez as well. Plus, we'll be taking your thoughts and questions from the live chat box, as always. Yes, I know, I'm li- I'm, I'm late not live. I'm late starting the live stream, but hey, you should be used to it by now. Welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, of course, part of 90 Min Football. Right, guys, how are we doing? Welcome uh, all along to the channel. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, Hope you're enjoying this Friday. Thank God it is Friday. Arsenal are in action again tomorrow, so not too long to wait uh, to see our boys in action again. A big game say big game, it's a friendly, but this is a friendly that feels like it's got a little bit more weight because of the fact that we're playing against Manchester United, a club that have been bitter rivals of ours for a long, long period of time. So um, there's a part of me that feels a little bit more strongly about this friendly than I did, for example, in the one against MLS All-Stars the other night. Um, I know a lot of you gave me stick on YouTube for suggesting that I thought the pageantry and all the rest of it around that game was just a little bit much. It's just a cultural change. It's just a cultural difference in terms of how we view football and how, I guess, soccer is viewed in the United States. It, you know, each to their own. But for me, it's, yeah, it's not not the thing. But anyway, um, lots and lots of you with us live, which uh, I absolutely love to see. Um, as I said to you guys yesterday, it's so great uh, to see people sort of in the chat, chatting amongst themselves as well. It just really highlights uh, what a wonderful group of people we've got here. I want to say a few good mornings before we dive into the relevant subjects. Uh, big hello to AJ Envoy. We've got Owen, who's with us as well. Uh, Femi's here too. We've got Christoph, who says it's a rainy uh, day in New York. It's okay here in London for the time being, but... I wouldn't back it staying this way. That's the thing. Uh, Matt says, uh, shattered after a big week, but the Arsenal have made it a hell of a lot better. They have an ability to do that, don't they? To really impact our moods. Uh, We've got William Salibak in the chat. He says, the game is at 2.30 a.m. for me. Can't decide if I should go to sleep and get back up or stay awake and then be sleep deprived all day. So the other night when when I sat down to watch the MLS All-Stars game, I I felt quite good about... 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. The game kicked off at 1.30 a.m. for us here in the UK. So around about 9 p.m., I was feeling quite good. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to have a little sleep because if I do that, I'll probably feel worse afterwards and I'll really, really struggle. Um, So I sat up and then I was on Twitter, whatever. And um, then I started to to think, well, actually, hold on a minute. This is a long time now. It's 9 p.m. And I'm potentially going to be up until about 4 a.m. by the time I go to bed. Maybe I'm not making a wise decision here. And I, I got into a discussion on Twitter uh, with some friends who said, well, go and have a power nap, but it can't be more than 20 minutes. If you manage to keep it to 20 minutes, then you'll be fine and it will do you the world of good. But the minute you go beyond that point, you're going to start to feel groggy afterwards. And basically, it's going to do more harm than good. I didn't take that advice. I did plan to go and have a power nap for 20 minutes, but it just didn't happen. And so I ended up staying up all the way through. And whilst I was fine for 
90% of the game. I did start to feel tired towards the end. But yesterday, which was the day after, was a big, big struggle for me. I got up at, I think I went to bed at four. I got up at seven, um, got my son ready for school, took him to school, went down to the 90 min studio, did the show with the guys, recorded an episode of this straight off the back of that, and then got on the train to come home at around about lunchtime. And I was falling asleep on a train. I never fall asleep on public transport. That's how you know I was absolutely battered. So I feel your pain. Um, I really, really do. It, it depends on what you like. Some people can handle it without the sleep. Others can't. You know, I think in hindsight, I should have had to sleep uh, because it really killed me the next day. So that would be my advice to you. Uh, big good morning to everybody else in the live chat. I'm not going to go through every single name because otherwise we'll be here all day. But Jason does say, it wouldn't be a Harry podcast if it started on time. True. Uh, Michael says, I'm glad that I actually hate Man United again. For a few years, I had apathy towards them and didn't care. Now I want them to crumble into a mess of a club, Ten hard to fail and Neville to cry. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, lots and lots of hellos uh, to all of you as well. Um, Matchy says, I'm meant to be working. So you haven't seen me, okay? Don't know what you're talking about, mate. Who are you? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, big hello to Nav as well, um, who says, I want to watch the Barca game, but heard it's at 3 a.m. It is at 3 a.m. It is at 3.30 a.m. It is at some ridiculous time. But basically, I'm flying to Vegas on Thursday. I'm wondering if I should try and adapt to the time in Vegas from the day before and basically watch this game and try get my body clock in order because what I I'm, I'm not in Vegas for a very long time. I think I'm there for four, four days and I don't want to spend it with jet lag and not being able to enjoy it. So there is a temptation on my part to try and get myself into that sleep pattern from before I go. And Arsenal's game against Barcelona gives me the perfect opportunity to do that. It's a real shame that I'm not going to be in America the day before, because obviously the game that Arsenal play with Barcelona is in LA and it's not a million miles away from Las Vegas. So that would have been a trip that was possible to do, but just with work commitments, it hasn't worked out. But of course, we'll keep you right across that game. We'll talk about it, all the rest of it. Um, so yeah, anyway, if anyone's going to be in Vegas, by the way, or nearby, give me a shout. Um, give me a shout. Might get in touch with the Sin City Gooners. I saw their group come up yesterday. Um, if anyone here is part of the Sin City Gooners, give me a shout. Uh, I'd love to... Um, I'd love to chat to you guys and uh, and hopefully meet up with some of you. Anyway, let's get into uh, the stories that we're going to cover on today's podcast. As I said, right at the top, we're going to talk Mohamed Kudus. We're going to talk Kai Havertz. Uh, we're going to talk Thomas Partey. We're going to react to Tim Lewis's interview uh, as well, which I thought had some interesting parts in it. Uh, we'll talk about Moussa Diaby, who is headed to the Premier League, but not to join Arsenal. He's going to Aston Villa to link up with Unai Emery. Um, I'll give you some thoughts on that. Uh, plus, uh, we're going to take, as always, some of your questions from the live chat. Don't go anywhere. Leave a like on the video. We'll be back in just a second. And we'll start off with Mohamed Koub. Welcome back to uh, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Matt says, jerks whinging about the times. Try being an Aussie gooner and missing very few games in 20 plus years. As I said yesterday on the podcast that we did yesterday, I tip my hat to every single one of you because like that is a huge commitment. And I don't know why there are always, you always seem to find people on Twitter afterwards. Like when we, 
whenever we sort of pay tribute to the, the overseas fans that do that, there's always match going fans that go, oh, but I spend all my money going to matches and I this and that. And, you know, I I travel up and down the country, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. That's great. And that is commitment too. Nobody's knocking that. But it isn't a competition. And it drives me mad when that debate comes up. You can praise those that get up at 2.30, 3 a.m. every single week to watch a game of football and praise the ones that travel up and down the country to go and watch their club as well. And obviously make a, a, a bigger financial investment in terms of what they spend on a match day because they do it more often and all the rest of it. It's okay to be, you know, to 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 be positive about both sides of the coin. Like, man, that debate drives me absolutely mental. Right, anyway, let's get into the Mohamed Kudush chat because uh, Arsenal are being linked with uh, the Ghanaian uh, midfielder slash winger slash forward. I don't really know what to call Mohamed Kudus because he is as versatile as they come. And, you know, it feels like listening back to some of the podcasts we've done over the summer, and I'm sure you guys who listen regularly will, will feel this as well, probably more than me, that versatility has kind of become our buzzword of the summer in that every target we seem to be looking at, every player we seem to talk about, that sits right at the top of the list, which once again reinforces the idea that that is something that, you know, Mikel Arteta is, is really keen on at this moment in time. Let's start off with the credibility of these Mohamed Kudus links. Now, Sammy Mockbell uh, has put this out, Sammy Mockbell's report, and he's usually very, very good. Um, so I think this is something that you should take seriously. Although, having dug around a little bit, having spoken to a few people, over the last couple of days, and let me be clear, I'm not pretending to be ITK. Uh, it seems to me, what I've kind of gauged from this, is that actually, although there is an interest in Mohamed Kudus from Arsenal, he's a player that they admire. There hasn't been any move, uh, any official move to try and make this deal happen. Is it something that Arsenal are keeping on ice with a view to completing some sales first? Remember, we know there are a few players that are probably headed for an exit this summer and perhaps financially Arsenal feel it best to do some of that work first, um, having already spent vast amounts of money on Declan Rice, Urien Timber and Kai Havertz. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at on this. I think, from what I understand, there is an interest. They like the player. Uh, he is somebody that Mikel Arteta and Edu would be keen uh, to move for. But at this stage, there is nothing concrete in the sense of this hasn't developed into a, for example, conversation with Ajax or to the stage where the club is preparing a written offer to forward over to the Dutch champions. Arsenal seem to have a pretty good relationship with Ajax at this moment in time. The Urian Timber deal, although it took a little bit longer than we'd have liked because of some contract snags, I understand those issues were between uh, the club, our club, and the players' camp, not an issue with Ajax whatsoever. So Ajax have shown that they're willing to negotiate with us, that they'll do it in good faith. And that actually is a relatively easy process if they're open to selling the player and you match their valuation. So, you know, I wouldn't rule this one out. But as I say, at this moment in time, it isn't progressed or it hasn't progressed to the point where we're talking about offers and uh, and, and conversations going on between the two clubs. Who is then Mohamed Kudus? Well, he's a 22-year-old Ghanaian who plays in a number of positions. Yep, you've guessed it. Uh, he can play on the right wing. He can play as a centre forward. 
he can play uh, in midfield as well. And I've got some thoughts on that, which I'll, I'll come on to in just a second. But to give you an idea of how his season went last time out, uh, Mohamed Kudus played 42 times for Ajax in all competitions. He scored 18 goals and he provided seven assists, which is a pretty good return. 25 direct goal contributions in 42 games is a pretty good output for someone who isn't necessarily an out-and-out striker or forward. Where did he play these games? Because I keep talking about his versatility and the ability to play in multiple positions. So where was it that Mohamed Kudus lined up for Ajax last season? Well, he played the majority of his games on the right flank. Uh, He played 17 times from the right. He scored seven goals and got four assists from that right-hand side. He played as a centre-forward for Ajax at various points. He played there 16 times, scored nine goals and got just two assists. So clearly he's more productive from a creative sense when he plays from a wide area, but he's able to get more goals playing through the middle, which is understandable. And he's also played as an attacking midfield player, which suggests that he would be able to fit into what we now call our eight positions if we needed him to do that. He is left-footed, but obviously playing from the right-hand side makes him a similar profile of player as Bukayo Saka. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying he's as good as Bukayo Saka, but there are reasons, I think, why Mohamed Kudus makes a lot of sense if you're looking to bring somebody in to provide that little bit more cover in that area. It looks like Nicolas Pepe is going to leave the club, which rules him out in terms of being the guy that we turn to. We've all said, I think, repeatedly that we believe Reese Nelson is more effective from the left, which kind of takes him out of the equation. And then the other only real option that we have, I guess, is somebody like Marquinhos, who, again, we don't know where he's going to be playing his football next season. Will he go out on loan again? Will Arsenal sell him? Not really sure about what the future holds for the young Brazilian. Leandro Trossard could play from the right, I guess, if we were desperate, but we know that that's not his best position. Kai Havertz could play from the right if we wanted him to, but again, We know that that's not necessarily his best position. We've got people that can fill that role because of the versatility that we now have within our group. But Mohamed Kudus, I think, would be a great option to come in and and backfill Bukayo Saka, but also fight with him, compete with him. I'm not saying that anyone that comes in is necessarily going to be able to displace Bukayo Saka, but to have someone like Kudus who could come in and do a job, but also gives you the ability to fill up other positions as well, you know, that makes it, I think, much more acceptable if you're talking about going and spending another big amount of money on a player who you see as maybe a backup more than anything else. The fact that he could back you up in different areas and adds to the squad, I think, is a real, real positive. Um, you'll kind of notice that I've glossed over this idea of, of Kudus playing in midfield, which he has done plenty of times. This is a guy who's got 24 caps for his country. Uh, seven goals in those 24 caps. Um, uh, And he's just 22 years old, which is obviously uh, really, really impressive. He came uh, from Nordschland. That's where Ajax got him from. They paid about 9 million euros to sign him back in July 2020. He started his career, obviously, in Ghana. uh, And then he made a free transfer, free move to Nordschland, who sort of nurtured him for a good couple of years before Ajax came in. Now, one of the points that I think you should always take into consideration when discussing Ajax uh, products and and players that they've managed to bring through is Ajax's academy is bloody brilliant. 
Okay, it is really, really good. It's up there with the best in the world. They have been long renowned for producing really gifted footballers, uh, both technically, but also mentally in terms of the way they bring them up, the way they coach them, the values that they instill within them. If Ajax go out and pluck someone from another league and buy someone from another league at a really young age, it's normally because they think they're fucking immense. Excuse my language. Sorry if you've got any kids watching. I don't know why I did that. Completely forgot. Apologies. Um, but it just highlights that obviously Ajax saw something big in Mohamed Kudus. And he's come in and he's not always started games for Ajax, um, but has really sort of established himself as a key player in the side over the course of, in particular, the last six to eight months, I would say. But the reason I don't keep talking about Mohamed Kudus in a midfield context is because when I think about what it is that Mikel wants from his midfield, when I think about the options we have, and I think about sort of all the different elements that I think you have to think about when trying to work out where Mikel Arteta would like to use someone or how good a fit they would be. I think, well, I, I would say that he's probably not at the same level in terms of his impact on games and the output that he produces when he plays in midfield as he is when he plays from the right and he's got that little bit less responsibility positionally or when he plays through the middle uh, where he is very, very much a focal point. I think there is a lot to like about Mohamed Kudus. I think he's a player with all the raw materials required uh, for a coach of Arteta's quality to mould into the exact type of player that he wants. If you go over to transfermark.com, and I always say this to you guys, their valuations are not necessarily gospel, but they give you an indication. 40 million euros is around about where they value Mohamed Kudus at. I reckon for 40 million pounds, 45 million pounds, you could do this deal. And when you think about the prices we're talking about in the market these days, then I think this is this is a very reasonable amount of money for a player who has a really, really high ceiling. As for the eight chat, you know, can he play as the eight? As I've already said, I wouldn't be bringing him in primarily to do that. I think he can do that and he could probably learn to do that to a higher level and do it specifically the Arsenal way, the Arteta way. But I wouldn't be sort of advocating Arsenal go out and spend 40 plus million pounds if the intention is solely or primarily to use Mohamed Kudus as um, as a number eight. Because I, I, I don't personally think that that's his best position, uh, but we'll see. Um, let's go over to the live chat and see what you guys uh, are saying. Uh, just to reiterate where we're at on this, because Luke Abwao says, is this true that Kudos is an Arsenal player? No, um, it's not anywhere near being done. And as I've said already, I, I don't think this is even at the stage where the two clubs are negotiating. But there is clearly um, an interest in the player um, and Arsenal will look to uh, move for him, I think, if they do manage to get a few sales sorted, um, because obviously it requires outlay of further funds, which I'm not convinced we're going to do too much of until we do move some players out. And again, not necessarily because we're expecting loads of money to come in. It's more about the wage bill. I think that's the, the obstacle that Arsenal Football Club seems to have. I don't think they have a problem with fronting up cash for certain deals at the right times. I think the big issue is, well, not fronting up cash in the sense of just having loads of bundles, whoops, uh, having bags of money that they can just throw at people because obviously we see that they want to do a lot of their work uh, in installments and all the rest of it. But I don't think transfer fees, particularly if a club is open to having that payment over a period of time is the problem. I think it's more about balancing the books in terms of our monthly, weekly outgoings. 
Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Uh, Michael says, I love how completely obsessed we are about the Arsenal. It's great, isn't it? It is great. Like, it is everything to us. Arsenal is something that basically makes us a family. It, it, it's something that we all have in common. It's something that we should all relish. And what was I talking about the other day? I can't remember if it was, I think it was on here. I think it was on one of the episodes where we were talking about expectation levels around Arsenal and, and you know, the fact that now we're expected to go out there and challenge for the Premier League and nothing less than that will do. But I just wanted to make the point, I think, that for me, the rest of it is really important as well. The community feel, the connection that we will have with one another as a result of our mutual love for this football club. And to feel that warmth and, and to feel that connection, a connection that maybe disappeared a little bit, for a period of time. And I, at the time, you'd never admit it, right? Because at the time, you'd always say, no, I'm a 100% Arsenal supporter and I love this football club and I'd never, ever wane in my support for the club. But even subconsciously, you can become disconnected. And I think when Arteta came in and started to turn the ship around, even when the results weren't necessarily there, when you could feel the values being instilled again and you could feel the progress coming, albeit a little bit slower than we would have liked at times, I think for me, that kind of reiterated to me, actually, that the flame for Arsenal never burnt out and it never will. But it was certainly dwindling in comparison to where it is today. Uh, let's see what else we've got uh, in the live chat box. Uh, Michael also says, and this is a good point, now that we might look to keep Tierney and Partey, we might not get the money we need to be able to go back into the market. I think if the right opportunity comes along, the club will back the move. But I think, as I've said along the way, there would have been phases mapped out of this transfer window. Phase one is, of course, get your primary targets in. Phase two is clear the decks to, to rebalance the squad. And phase three would be, does an opportunity come up that is too good to turn down that would strengthen us between now and the end of the window? If so, let's take it. Let's move for that player. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jeffrey says Kudus is the exact piece we need to support Saka on the right. And his versatility is an added advantage when needed. Matt says Kudus is quality, huge ceiling quality in attack, uh, but ticks the boxes that Mikel likes with his pressing and combative defensive capabilities too. Um, William says versatile, young, technical Ajax product continues the biblical name tradition. After El Nenny retires slash leaves, sign me up. <laughs> Love that. Um, Alistair Ben says, uh, do you think the business with Timber helps us get Kudus? Maybe he's on the phone with him telling him how good Arsenal is to be at. Well, I think like any business, right, it's important that you you stay in contact with people. It's important that you network. Oh, that's so important. Like, you know, that you keep those relationships going in any walk of business, right? And football is no different to that. So as I mentioned earlier, I think the fact that we were able to negotiate with Ajax for Timber without too many issues means that the two clubs have shown that they can do a deal if, if there's appetite on both sides to do it. Plus, Urien Timber, I think, is loving life at Arsenal already. And I think that will help if he can pick up the phone to his teammate and sort of advocate for what a great place this is to be, then that certainly does our cause no harm. In fact, it does it a whole load of good. Um, Thibaut Pesk says, if we got Kudus, this could be the smartest transfer window for us in a long time because every window makes so much sense. Loads and loads of questions coming in as well, guys. 
hold on to the questions because I've got a couple more stories, a few more stories, in fact, that I want to just quickly touch on. And then we'll spend some time solely on your questions and on your thoughts. We're going to take a very, very short pause now. And when we return, we're going to talk Kai Havertz. We're going to talk Tim Lewis's interview. And of course, Thomas Partey. Be back in just a sec. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, of course, part of the 90-min football family. If you haven't left a like on the video, what are you waiting for? There are loads of you in the live chat and we've only got 81 likes on the board. Come on, guys. Uh, let's drive that up. Let's try and get to 250 by the time we end the live stream. That's the target, which may rise further uh, as the show goes on. But just wanted to talk about Kai Havertz uh, very, very quickly, because, of course, uh, Kai Havertz, who took part in the skills challenge, was on the receiving end of a lot of criticism, actually, uh, for how he performed in that, which I think was a load of nonsense, really. Um, just people looking for something to to pick on and a lot of it came from rival fans, in particular Chelsea fans. I can't believe they were staying up until that time of night to watch Kai Havertz in a skill trans. They are literally obsessed. It's all they talk about. Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. Move on. Move on. Um, but anyway, Kai Havertz obviously scored that banger of a goal against MLS All-Stars, where he did literally what he was not asked to do <laughs> in the... Um, MLS skills challenge, which I'll repeat again, I think is a load of nonsense. Um, like somebody actually put in the chat, I, I digress just for a second. Somebody put in the comments on yesterday's show that I wouldn't be against the skills challenge if it involved like X pros or something. And I think that's a great idea. I really, really do. I think if you did that with X pros, there'd be loads and loads of interest in it. But also you're not then putting current players under the microscope and in a position where they can receive unfair criticism. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a much better way of doing it. But anyway, Kai Havertz, obviously, having scored that goal, responded with a post on Twitter, which I thought was elite, where he said, have that, and put a picture, basically, of him uh, smashing that ball into the back of the net. And then he went on to say, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, really nice feeling, to get my first Arsenal goal, thank you to the fans for the amazing support this week. Uh, so Kai Havertz, appreciative of the fact that most Arsenal fans, um, the good ones, yeah, I'm going to say it, um, managed to kind of uh, just block out the noise and, and recognised what it was, which was basically a glorified training session, a glorified open training session in front of some fans. Uh, but Kai Havertz, as I say, getting his first Arsenal goal, he's delighted with it. And I love that he's got the banter as well uh, to, to sort of uh, have a little bit of a dig. Have that, he says, uh, which was brilliant. Um, OK, also uh, wanted to just touch on the interview given uh, by Tim Lewis. Uh, of course, he is um, a really important part of Arsenal right now. Um, you know, he's got uh, a lot of power, a lot of clout. Um, he is somebody that we don't really know that much about. He's kind of kept himself to himself. We've seen the name banded about. He's said to be a close personal friend of the Cronkies, which is why uh, they trust him and he has the role that he does at the football club at this moment in time. Uh, but there were a couple of interesting bits um, from the interview that he gave to The Telegraph. Let me um, let me just bring up a couple of those to share with you. So the first one uh, was uh, with regards to uh, Arsene Wenger's meeting with Bukayo Saka. Now, of course, Arsene Wenger was at a game. He got taken down to the dressing room by Tim Lewis and, and the likes to uh, speak to the team, see the team, etc., etc., you know, Arsene is a legendary figure at this football club. And, you know, you might not know him on a personal level, as Bukayo Saka didn't at the time. But 
you know, he called him boss, which just kind of highlights the respect that current players still have for Arsene Wenger. You know, a lot of the players that have come in to the football club over the last year or so have talked about sort of being reminded of the history of this football club, of of seeing things on the walls and all the rest of it. And that's obviously a conscious effort that's been made by the club, driven by Mikel Arteta, we believe, to kind of give people the feeling of where they're at and and to kind of reiterate the point that they are playing for one of the biggest football clubs in world football. Arsene Wenger's responsible for most of those great moments. Like, I know there are great moments. There were great moments under George Graham. I know there were great times under Herbert Chapman and there were trophies and titles, you know, in, in previous decades and all the rest of it. But if you think about the pinnacle of Arsenal Football Club, and if you think about why Arsenal Football Club is this global beast that it is today, Arsene Wenger is right at the forefront of that. So he'll always deserve that respect. But anyway, Tim Lewis spoke about the meeting between Wenger and Saka. Uh, and he said um, that Bukayo Saka called him boss uh, immediately. And that Saka asked Arsene Wenger, how can I improve? And Wenger said, I think you could use your right foot a bit more. <laughs> Sorry, I cracked myself up. That was my uh, Arsene Wenger dry accent. Uh, I beg your pardon. Anyway, uh, so that was uh, the conversation between those two. I love the way that he said very dryly, because uh, that's just Arsene Wenger's way, isn't it? Um, and then obviously there was uh, the comments around the ownership. Um, and I think actually this was a little bit more telling. And it kind of backs up what I think a lot of us already knew. But it kind of still needs to be said for those that turned abusive towards Wenger. And um, and really sort of went after him towards the end of his his managerial tenure. Tim, Tim Lewis was was asked about sort of the Wenger statue, which we think is coming uh, very very soon. We know is coming very very soon. In fact, next month. Um, but yeah, look at the time, we know that there were ownership issues. We know that there was a bit of a tug of war going on for the football club. KSE were at one end of it. Uh, Alicia Usmanov was at the other side of it. Neither party was particularly interested in investing massive amounts of money without having full control. And there was this almost standoff until eventually KSE came out on top, got what they wanted, moved um, moved to buy the rest of the club and then took full ownership. And once they took full ownership, it's undeniable that they were then willing to spend more money. And you could see that the investment sort of really... Um, sort of really started to show that in terms of what they were making, what they were spending in comparison to what was being spent before. Nobody denies, nobody within the club, the people that know, forget about what fans say on Twitter, because we don't know all the ins and outs, but nobody within the club would ever deny that Arsene Wenger was working under some really, really difficult budget constraints. And yet he managed to keep Arsenal at the top end of the Premier League in the top four for most of his time with the exception of, you know, the very, very end with all those difficulties, with all those problems. And that, that just got harder and harder over time because Chelsea uh, emerged in around about 2003 with loads and loads of money. Man United were always a powerhouse. Liverpool, once they started breeding success again and got the right coaching, they're a big football club they could spend too. Manchester City then emerged as well. Tottenham have grown in terms of what they've been able to spend over the years as well. You know, now you've got Newcastle, for example, Aston Villa investing big money. This is something that becomes increasingly more and more difficult to do. And uh, Tim Lewis said, we live Arsene's legacy every day. He coped with this period where he didn't have a single owner. 
able to back and control and invest. He kept the club as far up the table as he possibly could. And what he achieved was remarkable. So it's great to get that little bit of acknowledgement from someone in the current kind of KSE setup for what Arson was able to do and, and the work that he did. Um, lots of comments on my uh, Arsene Wenger uh, impression. Louis says, uh, <laughs> good attempt. Harry J. Sayers says, nice of Arnold. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think he means, uh, to give him advice. Did I sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, yes, look. Um, <laughs> Michael says, brilliant impression of Arsene there, Harry. Uh, love it. Um, <laughs> it's so funny reading the comments. Uh, William says, uh, much better than the impression that Tom did. I have to check that out. Has he done one as well? Oh my God. Uh, I need to check that out. Um, but yeah, look, we listened to Arsene. I listened to Arsene Wenger talk for 20 or bloody years about Arsenal. So if you can't do an impression of Arsene Wenger, then what's going on? Um, I used to listen to Arsene Wenger probably more than I'd listen to my mum. Uh, I'd take his word uh, certainly uh, more seriously at some points, which isn't a good thing, by the way. Listen to your mums. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> Uh, right, let's move on uh, from the Tim Lewis stuff. Let's talk um, Thomas Partey because, of course, he's returned uh, to the squad or has joined the squad, having missed out uh, on the early part of the US tour. Not exactly sure why. I don't think there was any real reports around injuries or anything like that. You can assume that it was a fitness thing. Um, some have chosen to speculate that it was to do with something else, like, for example, a transfer away from the club which as far as we know at the moment isn't happening. Now, it might still happen between now and the end of the window, but the interest from Saudi Arabia is literally just talk at the minute. And I hope that we keep him. I really do, because I think we need... Um, I think we need him. I, I really do. I think we need that option. I think we can really benefit from using him and Rice at the same time. Um, and yeah, I'm, um, I'm keen to see him stay. Hopefully, he'll get... Uh, embedded into the the sort of preseason action very very soon. I wonder if tomorrow's game will come around too soon for him to play any part. The likelihood is that we'll see him against Barcelona, if anything at all. Um, also, just wanted to touch on Musa Diaby, who we've been linked with quite a bit over the last couple of windows, but is now Aston Villa bound. Uh, a deal worth just over forty million, we're told in total, which is pretty good value when you consider that. A few months ago, people were talking about him as a 60, 70 million pound player. Villa have done some great business there. Um, and he goes and joins up with Unai Emery, with whom I think he'll do quite well. I think Villa could do well this season. But the key word there is could, because a lot of people have kind of come at me for suggesting that there's no guarantee that they make the top six, which I think is a very reasonable um, opinion to have. Unai Emery, with the exception of his time at PSG, hasn't finished higher than fifth in any division. Um, since 2011, 2012. So what makes you think that with Aston Villa, he's going to be able to go into, for example, a Champions League position? I think that's um, I think that's a, a big, bold prediction to make, and I'm not going to be making it. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Louis says, uh, would you have liked him at the Arsenal, Harry? I would have. And, and if I knew, or if we thought that we could get him at that price, I'm surprised that we didn't do it. But you know, often you see this, don't you, where you end up in a situation where Bayer Leverkusen are, are open to selling, acknowledge that the player probably wants to move on and probably will leave. And so they have to entertain, they have to, you know, be uh, alive to the possibility of, of clubs coming in. But you tend to find when clubs like Arsenal come in, I'm not saying this to be disrespectful to Villa or, or big headed, 
or, or anything like that. But when clubs like Arsenal come in, you'll feel like you can get more money out of them. Therefore, you'll push the price up. You very quickly realise that that club is not going to go that far. It's not going to have their pants pulled down, as we've been saying throughout the window. And, um, and you end up watching the deal basically fade into the distance and, and, and in the end disappear. And then you still have to sell the player. So you start having to sell to clubs in that bracket below. And I think that Villa are in that bracket where they would have had a price in mind. They weren't probably willing or maybe even able to go as far as Leverkusen maybe thought Arsenal could. And in the end, with no other interest, you end up selling him to that club. And I think that's kind of what's happened uh, there. Um, Jay Sayers, I, I don't know that this is 100% true. So I'm not going to, or, or it's not necessarily my opinion is what I should said, have said. So I'm not going to jump on this bandwagon too much. But he does say Diaby is one of them players that Twitter loves. But when you actually watch him in a game, he does nothing. I think that's a little bit unfair when you look at the players' outputs. Um, over the last couple of seasons, I think you can say that he does plenty. Just 24 years old as well, plenty of time ahead of him to continue developing and, and continue pushing forward. I mean, he's got 49 goals and 48 assists in 172 games for Bayer Leverkusen. I think that's pretty good. You know, nine goals, nine assists in 33 league appearances last season. So 18 direct goal contributions in 33 games. Got two goals in his six Champions League appearances as well. So I think there's a player there. I, I do. Um, I do. Uh, this is an interesting question. Uh, Leeds Gunner says, who's better value, Moussa Diaby or Harvey Barnes? I think Moussa Diaby probably. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Harvey Barnes. Um, although I think Barnes is a good is a good sign-in. Actually, I, I just wanted to touch on the Barnes thing because over the last few days, we've heard, obviously, Harvey Barnes closing in on a move to Newcastle United. I know this is an Arsenal-related, but I've got quite a strong opinion on this. He'll be coming in and that deal will be partly funded by the departure of Alan St. Maximan, who I know is frustrating at times. And I know can be, I know can be, yeah, uh, like, yeah, frustrating is the word, right? I know he can be like that because I've seen it, you know, I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. But there's something about someone like St. Maximan, the, the individuality, the, the unpredictability, the skill, the, the class, the audacity at times to try the things he does, that for me is special in football. And we're in a place now in 2023 where that's kind of being like stamped out of the game. I read a comment, I think it was from Henry Winter earlier today, and Henry's great at what he does. He's a fantastic journalist. But he said something along the lines of, well, the Newcastle fans will, uh, I beg your pardon, the Newcastle forwards will at least know now when they're going to get the ball or what's coming with Harvey Barnes as opposed to with Alan St. Maximan. And I get that, but it's just another example of how we've kind of killed individuality in football. And we now talk about system players all the time and all the rest of it. And those mavericks of the game, you know, you want to protect them. You want to protect them with everything you've got. And uh, and so whilst Barnes is a good signing for Newcastle, I'm not saying that he's not. There is a part of me that's sad to see St. Maximan leave the Premier League because he just brings you something that you don't often see anymore. So, yeah, uh, that's where I am on that. Right. We're going to take your questions and thoughts uh, in just a minute. So start getting your questions in the chat box. Put a cue at the beginning, and I'll be able to pick them out from the chat box that little bit easier. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't left a like on the video, what on earth are you waiting for? Like, subscribe, 
all the rest of it. Come on, get involved. It really, really, really um, does help. Also, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. I think we're about 300 subs now from hitting the 29,000 mark, which means that we'll be within a thousand here on YouTube of that magical 30k. So please do subscribe if you're watching us. Don't be a freeloader. Get involved. Um, yeah. You know the drill, as I keep saying. Uh, also, just a quick reminder as well, uh, if you are interested in coming down to the Guna Talk uh, TV's live podcast event, which is happening on the 13th of August, Sunday, the 13th of August, it's the day after we play our first Premier League game at home to Nottingham Forest, uh, then you can visit the link in the description to get your tickets. Tickets cost £22. The venue is the Mild May Club in Newington Green, London N16. It's not a million miles away from Arsenal. It's not exactly around the corner, but it's not too far. Um, Tom from the Guna Talk, obviously hosting it. It's his event. Really, really looking forward to it. And I'm delighted to say and privileged to say that Tom's invited me to be on the panel. So if you uh, do fancy coming down, as I say, you can get your tickets via the link in the description. It'll be myself, FK from the Latte Firm, who I'm sure you all know, Mike Feinberg from the Gooners Pod. Uh, I'm sure you all know him as well. He's an incredible character. And Bailey Keogh as well uh, from Your Boys will be there too. So yeah, um, really, really looking forward to that. And hopefully we've got an opening day win to talk about uh, there. But anyway, okay. Uh, let's take then your questions and your thoughts from the live chat box right after this very, very short pause. Okay, let's do this then. What have you got for me? What have you got for me? Throw your questions my way. Uh, let's take this one from uh, William who says, uh, the reason I'm calling you William, mate, is because if I go through your whole screen name every time, I want to <laughs> He says, Harry, what's up with Guardiola to Guardiola? Heard Fabrizio has gone back on his here we go. Uh, thoughts on St. Maximan as backup for Saka, despite it being nearly impossible. So we'll start with Guardiola. I think that the deal is going to get done. I think Leipzig recognise uh, what a valuable asset he is to their football club. And as a result of that, we'll want to get the maximum available. Everybody knows that City have got a few quid. And, um, and I expect that deal to get done, although clearly based on what we're hearing today, isn't as advanced as maybe was suggested earlier this week. Uh, as for St. Maximum, a Saka backup? No, not for me. Um, he's one of those players that I'd prefer to admire from afar, just because I think he he represents something that we don't see that often in football anymore. Not because I think he's a must um, for Arsenal. Uh, so no, he wouldn't be the, the solution to me there. Uh, Michael says, I get the versatility thing, but don't you think we need some specialists in certain positions? Proper centre forward, proper right back, right winger. I agree. Um, I think we've got some specialists. I think Martin Odegaard is a specialist creative midfielder. I think that Saka is a specialist winger. I think Martinelli too on the other side. I think Jesus is a specialist centre forward, but a certain type of centre forward. Saliba and Gabriel are specialist centre backs. I think as long as you've got a core of specialists, you can get away with having versatile players in and around that because not only do you get a high level of performance from them wherever they're asked to play, but you also have flexibility tactically as a result of that. Um, Dial Square says, do you, like me, think we could see Timber playing the Thomas Partey role if he's not available with Ben White behind him? I wouldn't rule Timber playing in midfield out completely because I think that he's shown that on the ball 
He is so comfortable, so confident that there's no reason why you wouldn't turn to him ahead of some of the lower level midfield options, i.e. Mohamed Elneny, with all due respect. <laughs> DR says, are you also worried that Timber might catch fire at the party and cook rice? This is an elite, um, an elite comment. I'm going to leave that on the screen for a bit because you deserve all the praise in the world. Let me just repeat that for audio listeners. Are you worried that Timber might catch fire at the party and cook the rice? <laughs> oh, man. Um, Derek Symes says, mate, all this talk about the new away kit, what about the baggage? The old school ones are better than we now. Why not have one of them? Sorry, uh, mate, all this talk. Basically, why not have one of the away kit, the old away kits as our kit? I mean, it's just the way football is, man. You go on Arsenal Direct, look how many different ranges of like training kit there is and all these different things. That's like, just part and parcel of the game nowadays, man. Like you're always going to get new kits. You're always going to get new merchandise. As long as people are buying it, they'll always do it. And and people will buy it despite um, the protests about, you know, it not being very nice. I mean, I'm a hypocrite. I'll probably buy it as well. Um, I'm I'm happy to admit that. Just going to take a couple more questions uh, before I have to disappear uh, off into the sunset or sunlight, sunshine. It's not sunset yet, is it? It's only 12.30 in the afternoon. Italian Stallion says, would you take Federico Chiesa? I love the player, but it'll cost too much money for it to be a viable option right now. Um, if we could do it at a reasonable price, absolutely. Um, absolutely, because I love the player. I really do. Mike in Perth says, has your view on how we may play this season changed since the MLS game? Not really. Um, not really. And and the reason it hasn't really changed is because we're still at the beginning of preseason. So if we play in a way that maybe surprises me against United and then against Barcelona and in the Emirates Cup, then I'll start to think that, you know, maybe... There is some change happening there. But I, st I still think at this stage where players are still joining up with the squad, um, fitness levels are varying across the board. I still think that a lot of the selections that Mikel makes will be based on where players are in terms of their fitness. So, for example, I touched on it on yesterday's show. I think Trossard could be utilised as an eight at times when we're chasing games and we want to be that more bit more forward thinking. But I don't think that's the go-to, and I don't think that's how we'll start the season. But I think Trossard, fitness-wise, is further along than some of the other players, like Kai Havertz, for example, who hasn't been with the club as long, uh, joined up late after his holidays, all the rest of it. I think there is still an element of fitness dictating who plays and who doesn't at this stage in preseason. So I'm not going to read into the selections too much. If we're still talking about this in two, three weeks' time, then then I think that it's it's worth a conversation. Uh, would be my uh, response to that. Right. Thank you all so, so much for joining me as always. Honestly, it is a pleasure to see uh, so many of you in the live chat alongside me. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. The Chronicles of Aguna uh, podcast is, of course, available here on YouTube in the form of live streams. You can go back and watch these streams, but it's also available on all major podcast stores. So if you prefer to listen on the go, uh, you can find it on Apple, you can find it on Spotify, Google Podcasts. You name the podcast platform, as long as it's a big, respectable one, the Chronicles of Aguna will be there. And as always, uh, a big shout out to our audio listeners. There's so many of you that tune in daily uh, from the audio platforms that 
I feel like sometimes because we go live on YouTube, that gets maybe overlooked and, and it shouldn't be because you're just as important. Uh, to the Chronicles of Aguna family. Remember, like, subscribe on your way out and I will see you all very, very soon uh, with more Arsenal chat. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great evening. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.